0: Hi, welcome everyone, so a good morning, good evening, good afternoon to wherever you are and welcome to another episode of the Uncast Show. Now today, as a guest, I've got an Unraid legend. I'm going to be chatting to Andrew Savodsky. Now you may know him as Squid and he's written a lot of plugins. Probably the most famous is Community Applications, which is the Unraid App Store. So I can't wait to be speaking to him about that. Now, another exciting thing that's happened this week is, it's here, ZFS has arrived on Unraid, 6.12 RC, and you bet I'm going to be talking to Andrew all about that as well. Let's not keep our guests waiting anymore, let's get on with the show. Okay, so um, good afternoon, Andrew, so thank you very much for taking time out on your Sunday to um, join us on the podcast, I really appreciate it. Sure. You're over in Canada, in Ontario, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that is. I'm just north of the border from uh Buffalo, New York.
0: So um Ontario's quite near Niagara Falls. That is the county with that, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Niagara Falls is about ten, fifteen minutes away from me. Um so yeah, it's a nice little uh tourist trap.
0: I've I've never been to Canada, but you know, my best friend he um he moved there probably about ten or fifteen years ago and Oh, yeah. I keep I keep threatening to go there, but <laughs> I haven't got around to it yet. I really should. You know, 15 years is too long.
1: Yeah. Well, if you're ever in the area, you know, stop by. I'm not a very good tour guide or anything like that. I live here, so it's seeing Niagara Falls and all the tourist traps and whatnot. It's just background noise for me.
0: Like, I think if someone came to the UK, I, I kind of wouldn't really know where to take them, you know. <laughs> well, when you live there, you don't really know, do you?
1: <laughs> no, I did all the tourist, touristy things as a teenager, and it's quite a number of decades ago. And I don't know how things are anymore.
0: What shall I call you? Shall I call you Squid or shall I call you Andrew? What do you prefer in the podcast?
1: Andrew's fine.
0: I only know you as Squid, so it's quite hard for me to kind of, like, you know, get, get, that, get that in my mind.
1: I always get a laugh out of people calling me Mr. Squid in the forum. <laughs> like, no, Mr. Squid would be my father. Just call me Squid. But Andrew, Andrew's more than sufficient for this right now.
0: The forum name, where, where did the name Squid actually come from? Squid
1: is... It was actually my first uh, job. Uh, I was working in a computer store back in the... Oh, gee, 1986. And... Uh, my one the one coworker used to always call, used to say I'm you're just a lowly little squid and the name kind of stuck with that
0: I, I always thought it was from your kind of like avatar picture the um from tripping the rift the little um um chode i think he's called is that right
1: presumably your viewers can look up what chode actually means uh, it's not the truth regards to me uh my wife will hopefully attest to that Toad and we don't really have anything to do with each other there it's just he's just a character he's i don't know kind of my hero i wish i was him sometimes
0: yeah like, over the last few weeks i've been i've been watching a few episodes because i'd i'd never never heard of it before you know it's, it's bloody funny actually you know
1: yeah it's different it was um Trailbreaking at the time, but before its time and it never really took off in the States. It's a Canadian show though. So that's a double plus for me.
0: What are you watching at the moment? Anything at all?
1: As far as the new stuff concerned, uh, Star Trek Picard, uh Star Trek Lower Deaths, that's my kind of thing. I do watch a lot of aircraft investigate or air crash investigation or Mayday. I have to fly a fair number of times and it's always curious as to why planes crash and whatnot.
0: Maybe not the best thing to watch just before you get on the flight though. <laughs>
1: Oh, just before I get onto a flight, I'm always looking up the plane and seeing what problems it has.
0: I think I'd, I'd rather not know. <laughs>
1: yeah, well,
0: I, I've been watching The Mandalorian. I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan.
1: We watched yeah, the first season. I haven't. I have yet to watch the second one, but it's on the
0: to do list. So, any, anyway, um, you know what what first got you into computers, and um, you know what what was your first computer?
1: Uh, first computer was actually a TRS 80. Um, getting into computers, it was because, um, back in when I was in grade six, we, I was fortunate enough that the school had a computer lab for us in grade six and this in 1982 my parents saw that well they had computers and i was this was something i wound up getting interested in so they wound up buying me the same computer that they had in the lab there it just kind of went from there a monochrome te- effectively text only no real graphics but it was a lot of fun
0: yeah i don't think we had tandy computers in the uk we had a, we had the shop tandy they sold like electronics and stuff um that's where I got my first computer, Atari 800 XL. Uh, I, I love that and still do today. I've got, I've got one in the background over there on the shelf.
1: Yeah, I missed my Amiga 3000. I had. Uh,
0: I al- I always wanted one of them that had the 32-bit CPU. I had the Amiga 500, like, and I always kind of like wished I could have a 3000.
1: Yeah, I never had the 500 at all. But I, I at the time, I was working in a computer store, so I got a great break on the price in between the uh, the employee discount and Commodore actually had a uh, nice uh, and even further break for uh, employees. So it cost me like next to nothing to buy one of them.
0: They, they were awesome machines the Amigas. I really, really, really like them. I had an ST before, and um... – Didn't like it and sold it and kind of cut loads of lawns one summer and managed to get myself an Amiga (laughs) five hundred. So, um, you know, um, how did you get into um, into Linux and Unraid?
1: Unraid, it's. I've always been. I'm a media whore. Originally, I had like just this banks and banks of USB hard drives connected to the computer. And then after I had a failure of one of my hard drives, I started uh, thinking about how can I do backups on the system. So I wound up backing up everything onto DVDs. And then I, one day I started looking at how much I'm spending on DVDs in order to back all this stuff up. And it worked out that I'm actually save a lot more money if I just bought another hard drive and backed up one-to-one. And then I thought about it, and well, that's kind of still a waste of money. So I actually started looking at network attached storage and parity systems and whatnot. And my big problem with all of them was like it was a RAID 5 setup or whatnot, and I really didn't like the fact that if I lost uh, two hard drives simultaneously, I lost the entire collection just kept on researching and i ran across unraid because of the no striping if i lost say two hard drives i only lost a portion of the data instead of everything and that was the huge selling feature for me
0: yeah i always found like um i had like a nas box or something and um it got full up and i didn't have i didn't have enough space to actually be able to you know, transfer the stuff off there to be able to put on another one. And I couldn't afford to buy another one till I would sold the old one. So <laughs> it was always a bit of a catch-22 for me. So, you know, um, Unraid, you know, ticks all the boxes for that. You know, I just love how you can expand the array out, you know, just as you go. So you weren't really using Linux before Unraid? Um, you were a Windows guy, were you?
1: Yeah, I never touched Linux at all before I discovered Unraid. I, if I even heard of it, it would be I'd be lucky. I can't remember I even heard of Linux before Unraid.
0: Now you're kind of like you know writing programs for Linux, you know, the community applications and all your all your great plugins, you know.
1: Well, thank you. I don't know if it's, I'm writing programs for Linux or writing programs for Unraid itself. A little bit two different things. As far as the uh, the low level of Linux and whatnot, I really don't know anything. You know, I know how to write the. Uh, do the applications for uh, the OS itself, but when you get to the nitty gritty of Linux, I'm not an expert on that. I know enough to be able to sound good, or um, kind of fake my way through it in the forum.
0: So, what what do you use for your desktop? You know, nowadays, are you Windows or Mac? Still Windows guy?
1: I'm still Windows on that. Um, I've got an 11900K Intel CPU on that. My main where I do all the development, the OS on that. And then the server itself is a 10900K with 64 gig of memory.
0: I saw your first server build. I'm going to try and bring it up on the screen. Um, I think it's absolutely awesome. I really do. (laughs) do. Do you still have it?
1: No, no, that's long God.
0: oh what a shame!
1: <laughs> I know, but I was proud of that build. That's why I took pictures of it.
0: I just love how you've made that. um How you've made the rack for the hard drives. That's absolutely that's so cool. It's like um, I thought of doing a similar thing. I've got, I can see you've got an arcade cabinet just behind you. I bought an old kind of broken one, and um, I really want to build my Unraid server into it, um, and kind of like, just thinking where I could put the discs, but, you know, seeing what you did with those discs, I could build something out of wood and put them all in, you know, so.
1: Yeah, there's so, there was one guy in the forum, he did, um, he did a build into an old radio cabinet and it, it came out really nice looking. I can't, I spend an hour trying to find that now, but the pictures and everything, it was beautiful what he did, you know. But I've switched now from that build. Uh, I got a pair of Rosewell Forty Eleven uh, enclosures, twelve bay hot swaps. Cheap little hot swap bays, but they do their job.
0: You know, as as a media collector, I'm going to ask you how many terabytes are in your server. Are you going to make me feel really insignificant?
1: Seventy seven terabytes right now.
0: That's probably about the same as me, so I don't I don't feel too bad. Like I, I don't like it when I speak to people and they tell me they got two hundred terabytes. That was, that just makes me really sad.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of uh, I don't know. I, I figure about every uh, in and around every two months, I wind up having to add at least another terabyte in storage. In it, my average downloads a month are about one terabyte, so. Yeah, my ISP loves me so much. I always have to convince them. It's like, uh, yeah, I bought unlimited internet bandwidth. Stop complaining about the bandwidth I'm using.
0: Um, with my ISP, I was waiting to get this super fast broadband um, 1,000 up, 1,000 down, and they just kept being really slow. I'd canceled the other one, but I had on my cell phone, I had unlimited data, so I thought, well, I'm going to have to take the take the SIM card out, put it in a modem, and just use that. And I think I was using about six or seven hundred gigs a month for about two or three months. So they they must have really kind of hated me, I think, for that.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm, for selling sell right data, a thousand down and three hundred up. Uh, at yeah. least it's the down that I don't. That's fast enough for me easily. It's the yeah. up speed. It's kind of slow nowadays, but really, I don't use it. You know, the odd time I watch, I'll be uh, streaming while I'm on the road or something. But and yeah. for there, the three hundred's more than sufficient. But
0: yeah, you know, you know, I I think upload's more important than download myself, really. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. I, use I used to have you know with my old ISP, it was something like twenty megs up. It really wasn't very cool. <laughs> uh, you got yourself a beer. I'm gonna I'm gonna crack open a beer myself. Bear with me. I'm gonna open it because. <laughs> yeah i want to join in
1: okay yeah you'll usually find me with a beer in my hand when i'm not working so.
0: Just spill well, it that, that's that exploded a little bit yeah. <laughs> but i've got my unraged glass here so okay
1: yeah my i don't use my unraged glass it's in the display cabinet
0: yeah, my, the logo's coming off a little bit. There we
1: are. But I am wearing the Unraid swag, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Customized with the avatar.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> awesome.
1: But that was an argument, right? Trying to get them, trying to get Zazzle to print that off and add that oh, onto right. the... Um, to the T-shirt is it's a copyrighted image, technically.
0: Oh, of course, yeah.
1: Spends a lot of time arguing with them on that.
0: So anyway, I better I better get back on track. Um, your first plugin, um, everyone probably knows you for community applications. Was that the first one you created?
1: In a roundabout way, yes. There was um, two plugins uh, before it. Uh, but they're both part of uh, community applications. They were just the forebearers. Uh, the very original one was a proof concept for uh, CA. And it was called uh, Repo Update. And it's it was just, um, as I got tired of in the forum trying to figure out what new applications, all these... Um, Uh, doctor authors were putting into their repositories Uh, so I wrote repo update which kind of kept me informed of it and uh, that was the very original one that lasted about uh, three weeks or so and then one of the other forum members saw the potential of it and uh, in conjunction with him we created community repositories Which CA is ultimately based upon, Uh, but then due to a difference of direction and how we thought um, the application store, as you might want to refer to it, would go, uh, we parted ways and I wound up uh, bringing out community applications itself. And it's been all history since then and tons of fun creating that and keeping up to date on that
0: right wow so for, for people who who don't know unraid before community applications was a thing you know um how did people used to kind of get like plugins docker containers onto their server
1: before if you had no idea and if you weren't a uh forum member uh the only thing that came with the system was um lime tech repository which gave you, uh, if you chose to install it, Plex and some other application, I can't even remember what it was. But in order to find anything else, you'd have to visit the forum and you'd find all these Docker repositories. You know, the repository was just a collection of apps, um, like Linux server, as an example, has their own Docker repository and they have within that, the links to all the other 50-odd containers that they make. So you'd add their their repository URL to a tab in the system called Docker repositories, and then the system would populate, and you can pick and choose what to add. It, it worked at the beginning uh, when there was very little authors out there, but CA really made it a lot easier because I what CA does is the authors gives me that Docker repository URL, and then I index it from there and then present it all in a way where you can just add in the single apps and it's all handled without the user having to know the underlying um, URLs or anything of the complexities that goes on behind
0: the scenes. Yeah, it, it it makes installing Docker super easy you know, for people you know, it's it's you know, it's it's a great a great kind of manager for you know. I, I can't really call it a Docker manager because it does plug plugins too. You know, so
1: always so that it's the same experience as you get on your App Store and like Google Play or um, whatever the Apple Store is called. And I'm trying to make the same experience. Docker is a little bit more difficult than you do need to know like your paths and whatnot. But I'm trying to get CA and apps to be as close as possible to that, which everybody experiences on their phones.
0: A lot of people don't know about with um, CA is it can actually install containers from Docker Hub as well.
1: Well, any search that you do, if you actually, it only happens when you search, and it brings up all the search results of what's uh, already within CA. But in the top right of every search page, there's a link that says, uh, search, find more results from Docker Hub. And if you just click that, it automatically searches Docker Hub. And it, the display looks the same, except there's no icons or anything. And when you install something from there, what CA tries to do is it tries to create the template from Docker Hub so that it's as close as possible to what is normally in CA. It's kind of hit and miss is it really depends on the Docker Hub repository setup, but most of the time it works perfectly
0: community applications i'm sure that's kind of what you're most proud of making but um you know if we took community applications away out of your other plugins you know you must have made or oh, you know there's app data backup app data clean um um custom tab um i think my, my favorite one that um that you've made as well for me is user scripts i find that so super useful but you know other than ca which plugin would you say you're most proud of that you've done
1: the one i personally use the most of is the unlimited width plugin um and it's one it's one of the very minor ones um but it's just i've i've got this 49 inch monitor on my windows machine and it it's Unraid itself is limited to 1920 pixels across and that just drives me nuts right? because just my standard how I look at the server to manage it my windows larger than 1920 and I don't like these black bars down the side of everything so the unlimited width it's just a hack on the CSS it lets the OS use the full window width um, to me it makes it better i hate the artificial limitations but the other uh plug-in that's really i'd be most proud of and it's also the one i was most selfish on making is fixed common problems um it's it's a great little plugin, but i was very selfish in making it because it was wholly designed Yes, it finds a lot of problems with people's servers, but it was really designed to make my life easier with helping people on the forum. As I got tired of trying to go through, analyze everybody's share settings and the syslog and whatnot. So FCP was designed just to do this for me. So that when somebody had a question and it's FCP would have already identified the answer for me to help them with.
0: How many times has fixed common problems been downloaded? Do you do you have a number?
1: I don't do my plugins as releases, so I don't know actual download counts on anything. There is a, um, a popularity count. CA is obviously number one in terms of popularity. And then I believe number two is fix common problems. Number three is unassigned devices, and number four is Nerd Pack or Nerd Tools now.
0: When you make a plugin, do you make it because it's something you want to use yourself, and you're you're thinking right, I've got a problem, I'm going to make this because it I want this, or do you look at the look at the landscape and think this would be really useful for people? I want to make something that you know people are going to use
1: the main plugins are all something that I have a use for right there are some other pro uh, some other I would call them minor plugins that are made for to solve specific problems on the forum like uh, the Docker update patch that I just came out with last month was to solve a problem with 611 Uh, and not being able to uh, determine if there's updates available. And that was just a quick patch to the operating system. By and large, it's undoing the plugins because I find that there's a need for it myself. And I try to make it at least generalized uh, user scripts. Like I know over the years you've had some uh, feature suggestions and I know you have another one that's gonna come up soon. This was done originally to solve a problem of mine. And uh, it's kind of progressed from there.
0: The reason I've asked about custom tabs to be able to run a script, I'd really like to be able to kind of like start up like a VM or something from there or kind of have something happen before the VM starts up and that kind of thing. Having, having a button at the top to better run a script. I have no idea how difficult it would be to do that. But if it's ever something and you've got a few hours and you think, I remember Ed said that. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was actually. I'm
0: putting you on the spot. I know I shouldn't do it, but, you know, I've got to be selfish.
1: <laughs> I was thinking about it, about you and that this morning because I knew this was going to come up. And I was thinking, well, you'd have to um, put in a little confirmation. Do you want to run this? Right, because I don't know. I always, if I'm navigating around the OS, I wound up always clicking into a tab that I probably didn't want originally. So instead of running a script right away, as soon as you click in it, you need some sort of confirmation.
0: That's a really good point.
1: Yeah, but yeah, it's everything's doable, right? It's just time, right? Unfortunately, my time is. I'm busy like it's I got a lot always on the hill all the time see that actually coming to fruition soon TM
0: and I'm sure um people listening and watching will probably hate me if I don't ask but plugins or anything in the works that are coming soon that are exciting or or is that something you can't say at the moment
1: uh well i'll go with the second one yeah i can't say at the moment no there's nothing um really in the works right now short of more enhancements all the time for uh ca uh, and working towards my long-term goals on
0: ca okay i'm going to kind of like switch gears a little bit and go on to one of the user questions because i think it fits in quite well to what we've been talking about this is a question from dedulus from the forums and he asks um squid as an author of many widely widely used plugins which if any do you think should be shipped as part of the os proper can you talk about why this isn't the case same question to ed
1: okay um For the longest time, there was one specific plugin that I just couldn't understand why it wasn't included, and that was Dynamics SSD trim. It just made no sense as to why it wasn't included to basically run a single line on a script to trim your cache pools. Finally, it did get included, I believe in 6.11, it was finally included. The only other one that really is gonna be included, and I think it will, if it doesn't make it into a 6.12 final, it'll be in 6.13, like this is what I think, would be Dynamics File Manager. But a lot of reason why things aren't included per se, because a lot of plugins are just, they're just continual moving targets. Like if you look at CA, there's an update, what, every other week or so? on average, sometimes multiple ones every day. And it's just, if you include plugins with within the OS itself, then any bug fixes, feature enhancements, whatnot, then you're limited down, right now, I know there's talk about this changing in the future, you're limited to the OS being updated in order to update those plugins. Like I know uh, CA itself is, a little bit different. I think even though it's not included per se, I think it is included right now.
0: Yeah. It, it's that so close to being included installed. because you only have to click the button. It's got yeah. the tab there. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Unassigned devices, whatnot. Like there's Dan's always doing um, bug fixes and enhancements on that just to fill in all the needs of everybody. And that just wouldn't be feasible if it was included right now. It really limits us.
0: Exactly. I think a lot, a lot of people, they don't realize that if it, like you say, if it was included in the OS, if you're only ever going to upgrade on a stable version, you might work, you might wait six months for an update for, you know, um, fix common problems or um, unassigned devices when you can just update it all of the time.
1: Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And at the same token, like because it would be included with the OS too, it's no longer, My final say as to what features or bug fixes go into the software, it winds up being LimeTax, Tom's final say on whether this happens or not. So we lose the flexibility on that.
0: What plugins do I think should be shipped in? I think ZFS should be shipped in. And as of 6.12, which has just been released in the last few days as a release candidate, ZFS is now in Unraid. So that's what I would like. And many, many other people want. My and their wish has all come true. I think now's a good time to talk about the new version of Unraid, which is 6.12.0 RC2, I believe. Let's talk a little bit about ZFS and the pros and cons of people using ZFS and how ZFS has been implemented into Unraid. Andrew, is ZFS something you're going to be using?
1: I'm probably going to gradually switch over the array drives to be ZFS or ZFS, actually, uh, just because I like the fact, even though there's no striping and access speeds are going to be the same, I like the fact that it's going to be able to detect any corruption issues on it. I, I love that fact rather than having XFS on the array. For the hash pools, I'm kind of on the fence right now. I don't need the speed if setting up a, um like, a a RAID 5 or whatever, the ZFS. I'm not a ZFS expert by any means. I don't particularly need the speed with how my system's set up. So I'm kind of on the fence. I'll probably switch to it at some point. But right now, honestly, I'm in a wait to help revisions for ZFS just because once I put this onto production servers, yeah, I want my data to be safe. I don't want any surprises and whatnot on that. And my test server is barely functional like it's worse than the uh, picture that you showed of the original <laughs> system there
0: so advantages of zfs definitely um data integrity um and for people that don't know you know how that works um zfs basically does a checksum of each individual block on the disks and as it kind of reads the data back, if that checksum doesn't check out, so long as the pool has got redundancy, it can actually rebuild that data and correct it. So, for all people who are worried about bit rot, ZFS is great for protecting you against bit rot. The only time that it won't auto protect you, you know, is if you have a single disk ZFS pool. Uh, because obviously there's no copies of the data for it to be able to but it's still like you say using it in the array it can still tell you there's a problem
1: right exactly and even on a, in a hash pool, it'll tell you there's a problem it can't fix it
0: no but then if you you know if you've got backups like everyone should have i hope all you guys do have backups you know because raid is not a backup no it's not <laughs> so you know um so then you know if you realize the data is um the data is is corrupt because zfs will tell you it gives you a chance to be able to you know restore it from a backup or maybe even if you've done snapshots you may be able to go back to an earlier snapshot and pull the correct data out of that so even if you don't have redundancy and you have a single disk you know zfs for data integrity is you know really really good I must say I was really surprised when I saw this version of Unraid that ZFS was actually in the array drives as well and I think that's absolutely absolutely awesome you know um because one of the really excellent features I like about ZFS is ZFS send how you can send data from one computer to another using CFS. If you use rsync and say you had a V disk of a VM that was 500 gigs a terabyte, the first time you copy that is gonna take, I don't know, maybe an hour. And then if you fire up that VM, you download one MP3 into the V disk, that V disk has changed, but rsync would see the whole file has changed. And then when you go to back it up again, it would have to transfer the whole thing. But the great thing about ZFS send is it knows the blocks that are changed and it will just, it will send just the changed blocks to the other server and it will just take a matter of seconds that would take an hour. And that's what I really like about ZFS. Personally, that's probably one of my favorite features about it because we can have that in the actual Unraid array. I could pretty much set up two servers and have everything duplicate across the two very fast. Another really good feature, in my opinion, for ZFS is um, compression. The CFS will compress things on the fly. You can set the compression level for the file system to various different um, methods. Some have, have a greater compression level, that are slower and some will have not such a good compression ratio that are faster. But the default one is, is you know, a good balance of both. You can actually save quite a lot of space when you use compression in CFS. A lot of people worry that it's going to slow the file system down, but it can actually make it faster because um, with spinning Rust disks, you know, you're limited to how much data you can get off there in one in one go. So taking compressed data off and having the CPU decompress it, you get more data in one go because the CPUs nowadays are so fast. So it will actually make the read and write um, speeds actually faster with the compression than it would be without.
1: Yeah. I would think that with today's CPU speeds blowing away, even SSDs that you're not really ever going to notice a slowdown unless your uh, CPU block uh, is bogged down. With the VM or whatnot running at the same time, you'd hardly notice it, if at all.
0: Most of us on Raiders, we've got a lot of data, so anything that can kind of like stop us having to buy a hard drive quite so quickly is quite good.
1: We don't have much data. (laughs) None of us have a lot of data. Come on.
0: (laughs) And any other advantages you can think of at all, Andrew, that I'm not saying? I'm I'm sure there's a whole load that I haven't said.
1: It's really like the big advantage of ZFS is the access speed. If you need the speed, once you get to striping, it's it's here. You have a just using two SSDs. You're now reading twice as fast um, off of instead of the one single SSD. That's the primary advantage of ZFS as far as I'm concerned.
0: So... Obviously, there's a lot more speed because you're reading off, thumb. you know, if you've, if you've got a three disk, um, pool of ZFS, you're reading off three drives at once because of the striping across it, which, you know, on Unraid at the moment, we're only reading off the one. But, you know, people have to realize if they format a disk in, um, in the array as ZFS and not making a separate pool, it will be the same speed as it would have been if they had an XFS disk. Um, because it 's not striped, even if you put every disk in your array as zFs, they act as individual drives with an individual file system
1: but that might change in the future
0: but i think I think it 's good that it does do that. A downside of ZFs is if you 're trying to run an energy efficient server, if you had an array of twenty drives in a Z pool; those drives will never spin down it's kind of all or nothing that's one really good thing about the unraid array is when a disk isn't being used it can spin down
1: yeah i was just going to say that if you wanted basically an array just uh, zfs you right now unraid still requires a traditional unraid drive but nothing says that that just can't be a flash drive or something something small set up as disk one and then it's all just you work off hash pools from there on in. So nothing says you can't have just a ZFS setup and it totally ignore the unraid array altogether as long as you have something assigned to it right now. Hopefully that'll change in the future where you don't need the traditional unraid array.
0: Yeah, I'd never thought of that. So you could, you know, use a cheap flash drive just to um, just to be your kind of disk one. Would that be a bit risky though? If you think of like all of the system files that would be on that flash drive as well?
1: You put them all into the pool. Yeah. You just
0: put the path out, you right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's actually kind of how my my test server set up. I have a my I have the boot on RAID flash. My data disk is actually a sixteen gig flash drive. My cache pool is a three hundred and twenty gig hard drive. Effectively, it's all I'm using the cache pool on that system. All right and it's just it's kind of a weird setup, but it suits my purposes as the test rig altogether.
0: On one of my old servers, an old test server, I just ran um, an NVMe drive as the um, as the disk one in the array with no parity, and um, that was when I was first um, messing around with ZFS with um, with the plugin, and then I could use the rest of the drives as a as a as a Z pool, but. Any other sort of disadvantages you can think for people who are using Unraid for using ZFS?
1: ZFS uh, is a memory hog. Now, I know it can be adjusted down, but it's going to use pretty much as much memory as it can yet on the system.
0: What what does it use the memory for, Andrew?
1: All for caching. Right, it helps it speed up the reads, the writes, everything like that.
0: So, so the file the files are held in the RAM, the ones that are being used, sort of like the most, it will it will keep a copy of it there for speed. Yes. Right.
1: Yeah. Like um, George or Jorge is the real expert on this, but that's if you if you start looking and researching into ZFS, they start talking about how ECC memory um, is a requirement on it. Now, ECC memory isn't a requirement. But once you start um, using RAM extensively, well, you better, for uh, the storage and as a cache, you better make sure that your RAM is 100% perfect, right? If you have a marginal server and if you have the odd RAM error that you just don't notice, well, now you're gonna automatically introduce corruption into that pool. Sure, it should hopefully detect it, but it's just not something you want. Right. you you just I would think that your server should be rock solid. right? if you're counting on ZFS to solve your problems because you have unclean shutdowns causing and you have corruption because of that, well, ZFS isn't gonna help you there because you got more important issues to deal with on that.
0: How much memory should you allocate for ZFS I've heard that it should be roughly 50% of the RAM that you have in the server.
1: I believe that's what its defaults are. I know it used to be that they'd recommend one gig of memory for every terabyte of storage you had, which is a little bit excessive. Um, The actual minimums that it needs, I think uh, pretty much it'll run if you have two gig of memory available. It really recommends eight gig. If there's a a very limited supply of memory, then it's just your performance suffers.
0: So basically, if you don't have much memory, it's just not going to be able to cache many files in the RAM. So, you know, it's not really the end of the world. No, no, it'll still work. Another downside that people have to think about when they're running a ZFS pool is on the Unraid array, if you were to lo- say you had like you know one parity drive we all know we can lose one drive and recover from it and if we were to lose two drives we would only lose those two drives so if we had another five we've got all of the data on there but if we had a if we had a zfs pool with one drive of parity we can lose one drive and rebuild if we lose two drives goodbye to all of the data the same on any system that runs cfs because it stripes the data across all of the disks so what you what you're kind of gaining from the speed you're risking should more um, drives fail that you will lose everything so that's that's something to consider
1: years and years ago i inadvertently lost all of my wife's art kids the baby pictures I lost every single one. It it had no it was a stupid mistake. I just inadvertently formatted the drive.
0: But, but you did, you did have a backup though, Andrea.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um it just it taught me something and this was way before I used network attached or any backup for redundancy, but it taught me something that I'd rather lose a portion than everything. no matter what on the stuff that yeah i just don't want to get yelled at for constantly and she still brings it up here and there unfortunately
0: so you know things like photos you don't need a great deal of speed to look at your photos you know so so having them on the unraid array things like that you know you know the unraid array is still ideally suited for you know data where you don't need really really fast read and write speeds and another thing you know for people to think about with um with the speed of the array or a, or a zpool is if you have two computers connected by you know just a normal gigabit ethernet you're going to be limited by the speed between the two machines anyway no matter how fast you could have a hundred nvme drives in a zpool on both machines but when you're transferring a file from one to the other you're going to be capped at 125 megs per second you would you would need you know faster network for transferring those files i'd like to kind of just go back to the fact of having cfs formatted drives in the array is that should one of those drives fail um, it's built in the normal way from the parity you know you could have if you wanted you know why you would i don't know but you could have a disk of each file system that unraid does in the array you could have riser FS, xfs butter FS, and a zfs in the in the array but you know one thing i think that you know i'm going to do personally is i'm not going to change all of my drives in the array to zfs but i may change one where i want to do backups to another machine where i want to use um cfs send so i'll still be able to use that from the array just with the one disk let's talk about some of the other kind of new things that that are in um unraid um 6.12 which i really like i was running the test version for a while and never knew about this until the rc version came out is the dashboard you can actually drag the icons around and put them wherever you like <laughs> Yeah, I made a video at Christmas saying that was one of that was one of my wishes, and it's.
1: <laughs> and then all of a sudden, boom! It's there. See, look at the influence you have. It's
0: like it's like having having Christmas all over again in March. Yeah. Like, how lucky, hey?
1: <laughs> yeah, the dashboard so- though that that feature and it's a lot easier for a programmer to add tiles onto the dashboard now. But unfortunately it did introduce a big incompatibility where any program that was pre- that would hack into the dashboard on 6.11 and previous, it just doesn't work anymore. And it actually crashes the entire dashboard. So there's a bunch of plugins that just don't work at the moment.
0: Can you tell us any of those plugins that we should maybe stay away from, maybe not upgrade if we if they're important to us?
1: Okay, GPU stats, dislocation, plus streams. There's also NUT and IPMI tools. Uh, those have been forked, and they are now available from Simon F, a uh, new 6.12 compatible version. But the others, if you have a blank dashboard that shows up, it's guaranteed it's a plugin that's causing it. And I've marked them all as being incompatible in, within CA, so Fixed Common Problems will at least tell you about it, that this is causing you issues.
0: Are there any other sort of features in um, 6.12 that people should know about?
1: It's really the dashboard is – the dashboard in ZFS is the main uh, – two features and there's something that really you wouldn't even notice it unless you're looking for either of those two features there is a lot of under the hood tweaks and whatnot preparing for 6.13 and uh, more features which I think are in the works but which I can't say for what they actually are
0: this is a voice message from Matt
1: hi this is
0: Matt and I've been using Unraid since version 4 in Indeed, I still have one box running 4.7 with Riser FS, no Docker, and barely any RAM. Anyway, speaking of old technology, I have a couple of questions about the conventional wisdom of booting from USB 2.0 flash drives rather than USB 3.0. Firstly, what is the thinking behind this? And then more specifically, is it sufficient to connect a USB 2.0 flash drive to a USB 3.0 port, or do you need a USB 2.0 port as well? I hope you can provide some answers, but either way, really pleased to have the podcast back, and thanks for all you do to help the community. Well, thank you very much for your question, Matt. Do you know the answer to this one, Andrew?
1: Okay, the the wisdom in the forum of trying to use USB 2.0 drives versus USB 3.0 was simply a matter of reliability. Anecdotally, USB 2.0 drives were more reliable. They wouldn't drop offline for no reason, and it just plain worked. Whereas USB 3.0 uh, for a lot of users was sometimes iffy um, and hit and miss on whether it would work right all the time. But as we've progressed on the uh, later kernel versions, the USB 3.0 support has very significantly improved. And those problems have pretty much dropped away, not to nothing, but it's still night and day compared with how it was from a couple of years ago. Like today, I wouldn't even think twice about whether you get a USB 3.0 drive or a USB 2.0, which means that you're gonna be using USB 3.0. The only thing is you wanna use a, a name brand drive you want to use a sand disk or kingston don't just use any drive that you just find hitting around your house you know that's the real issue there is their usb drives are just banged off in the billions all the time and the name brand if you're paying an extra five ten dollars for a flash drive from a name brand and you're thinking that it's the same as this no name brand that you're finding at Walmart, there probably is a difference. You pay for what you get just like anything else. At least in my system, it's the cheapest part. It's like it's, it costs me nothing compared to the license, the hard drives, the CPU. I have no problem spending an extra $10 on it. Is it still dirt cheap compared to everything else? And I want reliability.
0: I, I totally agree. You know, um, you know, don't don't go and find an old USB drive in a drawer that's been there for nine years, and you think, well, you know, it's still okay. Chances are you'll be replacing it in a year,
1: <laughs> yeah, or sooner. Like my, as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot. There's still a lot of people that question um, why even use a USB drive to boot from because they're quote, quote inherently unreliable. I've been using my same flash drive since t- 2012 no no trouble and i'm probably really hard on my flash drives just from handling everything that i do and i have no problems with it at all
0: but i've heard so many people say oh why can't it be installed on a hard drive you know but you know it's booted into ram anyway like you know so it's not writing to it all the time i think people kind of think the operating system's writing to it a bit like windows but it but it's just not it's
1: only if you change a setting like if you change um, a, a setting in network settings or something like that, uh, does it actually write to the flash drive? Every all other times it just it's just it's read straight from RAM. That's it.
0: And if you install a plugin and that kind of thing, I, I believe that, yeah, that that's will. written to it just the one time. Yes, but then every time you boot, it's just in RAM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just, just changes and you know you're not writing to it all of the time while no. your server's running. It's just sitting there doing. You know, doing, doing nothing until you reboot, really, I right, guess.
1: exactly.
0: Okay, so moving on to the next question, which is from Dan Sushi um, about gaming on VMs. I hope I've pronounced his name correctly. Um says, I keep hearing about how you can have a gaming VM on Unraid. What are the methods that people are using to actually connect to the gaming VM? If I have my Unraid server in one room of the house and I want to use the gaming VM in another room, Do I have to buy a laptop and then remotely connect to it? Or can I have a spare keyboard, mouse and monitor? And is there some sort of NUC or Raspberry Pi or other cheaper device that you can use to actually access the gaming VM? Well, if you don't mind, Andrew, I'll answer this one um, because I actually do the very same thing myself. With a gaming VM, obviously you're passing through a GPU and If you've got an NVIDIA GPU, you can use just the NVIDIA game streaming. You can stream to Android. If you've got an Android box like the NVIDIA Shield, you can just plug a controller into the NVIDIA Shield, a keyboard, a mouse into the NVIDIA Shield, and you can just access steam all of your games and just stream them across i would say make sure you're on a, a wired network if possible to get the best performance if you haven't got an nvidia shield and you want something cheaper you can use a raspberry pi but um the prices of raspberry pis at the moment are crazy i looked on e- on ebay i think it was 150 pounds which is probably close to 200 us dollars for a raspberry pi 4 with it, with um 8 gigs um, before the pandemic, I think I bought one for about £65. So, But they'll come down again. I've heard they are going to go down around April. Whether they do or not, I don't know. But you can use an open source version of the NVIDIA game streaming if you're using a Raspberry Pi. I'm going to bring this up on the screen. This is called Moonlight. You can install this on a Raspberry Pi, and it will just do the same as um, the NVIDIA game streaming. It's just an open source implication implementation rather of um you know what you'd have if you use the nvidia version on android or something another thing you can use is you can use something called parsec really need a pc for that though so if you've got another pc you can use parsec um this is the website for parsec um you can download it for windows or mac os and basically it will, it will stream the whole system you know, to your laptop or, you know, whether it's Mac or, or Windows, you know, I haven't used Parsec myself, but a lot of friends have and they say it's really good. Um, there's a free version um, for individual use. There are different ways of doing it. You certainly can do it, you know, in in another room yeah. should you want to.
1: Have you ever tried like running like uh, your HDMI or over Ethernet and just doing a straight uh, connection that way and that way you're interacting? Directly with the VM instead of a third party or
0: I have and I actually thought of doing that I, I've built like an office on the side of the house and um, I've got you know, my kind of unraid server with various VMs that run here and I found on Amazon some cheap optical HDMI cables they work really really well and they go really really far and I've actually got um, the optical HDMI going through I got the builders to put a hole through the wall, and um, I got that going in the back of the main TV in the living room, and I put a USB cable through so I can put my <laughs> so I can plug you know that in so I can sit in I can sit in the um, on the sofa and um, and game there. So, I'm
1: lucky because my server racks are right behind the wall of where my main entertainment system is. So it was just a real short HDMI cable just going straight through there. And I can access everything directly. But I did try using remotely. It was the HDMI was no problem. It was the USB. But I went, I tried cheap on that and just a real cheap USB extender. And it was like, yeah, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Oh no, it's it was good success. But next time I tried, I'm going actually not buy the cheapest thing possible just to see whether it would work.
0: Moving on to the um, next question. This is from Mr. Traxon on managing multiple Unraid servers and clustering. And Mr. Traxon says, I own many Unraid servers, and I believe I'm not the only one. What are some features you wish Unraid would add for users who own and manage many servers? I wish there was better Active Directory domain services you can connect to a domain, but it's pretty buggy and not very user-friendly. I think it'd be nice to have a way to cluster your Unraid servers to enable hardware and storage sharing and better management of multiple servers. What's your thoughts on that? Well, for home users, I really don't think you need kind of like proper kind of clustering and, you know, having kind of failover of Docker containers and things like that. So For the most, I don't think people would use that side of it. But obviously, there would, you know, I'm not saying there aren't people who would. For what I would like, I would love to see an Unraid server be able to have its array and have it spread across two servers. So I can go onto my movie share, see all the movies on server one. And if server two's on, I see the movies that are there as well so maybe i can put all the old movies that vanessa tells me i should delete because we've already watched them and why do we bother having them anymore <laughs> onto the backup server and then you know switch that on or in in my perfect world it would be it would all be built into the operating system and when i want to access that server if it's not on it will send a wake on lamping wake it up and i'd use that as some sort of cold storage that would be awesome but um you know, I'm sure it's not something that is going to be implemented.
1: No, I don't, I don't know. I'd love to see that, too, or a seamless, like in the user share system, it automatically accesses um, or includes the files on the remote share. You can do it with unassigned devices, um, but it's, now that you mention it, having UD automatically send a weight on land man when you access that other server, that'd be ideal. I don't know if that's doable or not, but, um, the seamless, including that second server within the first servers, user shares, that would solve a ton of problems and solve a lot of my problems too.
0: Yeah. Well, what I did, what I did recently, Andrews, um, is I kind of made some scripts to do, a real kind of um, janky way of doing that is um, I would have like an rsync script that would copy the latest kind of movies and TV shows that I had of the last month onto um, a Gen 8 microserver because that only uses 28 watts. I had a version of MB on there that would run. I had various kind of wake on LAN things, but what I found worked best was actually a smart plug to, um, you know, over HTTP to turn it on and have. You know, the BIOS set, so when the power comes back, it turns on. But what that allowed me to do is, um, in the UK, electricity's just kind of gone crazy expensive. It's apparently going to be about 50 pence a unit soon. I've got some solar panels on the roof, but it's always trying to kind of make the battery not run out during the night. So I thought, if I can somehow have that go on, my wife, she doesn't watch old movies and stuff. So so long as it's the kind of like the latest month of stuff... Her and the kids will be happy. So it was one way of being able to. I need to go go and revisit that sometime and try and make it work better. But to be able to have mover kind of like move files based on their last access time to another server, that would be just. Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice. I don't know. Like whenever I had like with when I had that dual setup, it was I was always if I ran out of space on the second server, I i'd be having to manually move all the movies back and forth uh trying to keep it reasonably full and then free up the space on the main server and it was all done through unassigned devices but yeah like you said moving ot- automatically the oldest movies whatnot without thinking about it too much and then there's some way to trigger um well, Platts automatically picks it all up automatically. And it'll figure, sort it all out where the files are if it's set up properly.
0: Or, or even if the um, you know, in in the file system when you went to the share, if the other server was off, it would kind of know that that file should be there. Kind of like when you kind of you know use a cloud service when you haven't got the file there. You know, it's got a little picture of the cloud. Yeah, that, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. that'd be that'd be super cool. <laughs>
1: We'll have to bother them about this. This is our dream <laughs> list.
0: Moving on to another question. And this is from Stefano. Hello, Squid. Hello, Ed. Hope both of you are doing well. Ed, have you entertained the idea of making videos about smart home devices and integrating them into containers running within Unraid? Oh, hi, Stefano. Um, nice to hear your voice and hope you're doing well. No. <laughs> No, that's that's a joke.
1: <laughs> yes, I was hoping you would be, so...
0: <laughs> I'm not sure if you mean kind of integrating smart devices into containers as in maybe kind of starting them up and that kind of thing, or you're talking about making videos with like, you know, MQTT and integrating that with Home Assistant, that kind of thing. In my house, I have a whole load of Zigbee buttons that run with Home Assistant, and I can press... One of the buttons, and it will start up a VM or start a container. I think I will be making some um, some videos on home automation for sure. Currently, been working on various containers to install VMs. And the next one is to install, install Recallbox, which is a an open source um, emulation distro. But I'm thinking of doing that for Home Assistant as well to make it kind of easy. It will just download the um, the ISO from from there and install it. As a VM, because I think Home Assistant, in my opinion, runs better as a VM than it does as a Docker container. I hope I've kind of interpreted your question properly, um.
1: <laughs> I'd like to say that I'd also love to see them too. right now I've I've set up all my like the doorbells and everything, the lights, all set up through a song, or through Alexa. Right? Uh, edit that, Alexis.
0: <laughs> no Andrew, you can't say, you can't say. We'll trigger everyone <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. Well, let's just try it. we're gonna have fun so yeah mine just turned on too uh but yeah i've set it all up through the amazon device and i'm kind of i'm really curious as to what you can actually do with this i keep making a, a note a mental note to start looking at home assistant but it's the system's working fine right now, but I'd like to really know what can I really do with what I have? What kind of ideas can I get to further automate this house? You know, and I'd like to see what other people can do. And if I have to buy some hardware, so be it. But I want to know what.
0: I- so, so home assistance, not something you've played with as yet?
1: Not as of yet, no.
0: Oh, it, I've i looked awesome. at it. Yeah, it's a big it's a big rabbit hole. It wastes a lot of time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can believe it. Well, it's just getting the Amazon device to do it was it took some. It was challenging at times too. But uh, I'm I'm very curious in looking at see what you can do. But, you
0: know, you can pretty much do anything you can think of with Home Assistant because it just joins everything together. Um, you know, I've got some really dumb things in my house like. Um, in my office if um i i hate it when amazon just opened the door and put a package in my in my front porch it just really annoys me i think why can't you ring the doorbell the doorbell's right there and they don't do it they just open the door and put it there and i don't know so i thought right i need a door sensor so i've got a zigbee door sensor uh, made by some cheap chinese company so when the door opens my lights will flash red in the office and i think ah, oh, the front doors opened just little things like that can be quite useful I've got a stupid thing on the stairs. In my front room, the stairs go from that room upstairs. The banisters are kind of like made of this kind of glass stuff. So I put an LED, when I've made the banisters, I put an LED strip in the glass. And when it gets to midnight, the stairs turn red. So I know it's late, I don't need to look at a clock. It's just really you know pointless stuff, but it's kind of fun. I kind of like setting it up more than the functionality of the use I get from it. <laughs> I, I like visual cues for things. I, I don't like using a letter very much. I prefer to use a button. So I've got lots of Zigbee buttons everywhere. Like I've got one in the front room, it will turn the TV on, the amp, this, that, and the other. You know, two presses will, you know, turn it all off.
1: One of my favorite hobbies is I get into arguments with all the time where she just doesn't listen, doesn't understand what I'm saying, and I will argue with her. And she keeps like, "Do you want to send feedback?" I'm like, "Well, you're already recording everything I say. What do you think?" Like, yeah, it's just fun. My wife looks at me and just laughs her head off because I'm arguing with this speaker. But yeah, you got to have some fun in the, in, the, in life,
0: right? So I think that's brought us to the end of um, end of our user questions. De- definitely, if you want some Andrew, you know, some home assistant videos. I'm hoping that if I do it, it might remind you of the <laughs> of the custom tabs yeah. script button. You, you never know. <laughs> yeah, you
1: never know. I have it written down in a task in a task board. I have, so I don't forget everything.
0: You know, I'd like to say thank you so much for your time, Andrew. It's been an absolute blast talking to you. You're one of my Unraid heroes, and I've been really nervous speaking to you all week, thinking, man, you know, this this is the guy that, you know, um, made community applications and, you know, has made my life so, you know, easy. And I really appreciate all the work you've done. And I'm sure, you know, the whole community, we all give you a big thank you. And, you know, we really, really appreciate your work.
1: Well, I was nervous about talking to you because you're so used to doing all these videos and everything and being on camera. And to me, I'm nobody compared to you, you know. Oh,
0: no, yeah,
1: I, that's just how I think. So well, but thank you for letting me be here.
0: I hope you have a great weekend. And um, I send thank you very much to your wife for letting us um, steal Andrew on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, um, you know, right. we all really appreciate it. You're welcome. Hopefully, I'll speak to you again soon, Andrew.
1: Definitely, I hope so. Have a good Thank one. you very much.
0: Right. You too. Oh, there we are. Oh, okay. <laughs>